Hello everybody and welcome to the Let's All Talk Fertility podcast brought to you by The Fertility Show. For this podcast we're heading over to the Let's All Talk Fertility Lounge at The Fertility Show 2023. The show brought together some fantastic people from across the world of fertility. On our Let's All Talk Fertility stage this year some fabulous people shared their own fertility experiences while also giving help and advice to those who needed it. Before we head over to the stage, I just want to take a moment to talk about Randox Health. They've formed a range of female health and fertility blood tests designed for women at every stage of life. A great one that many of you may need to hear about now is their fertility health package. The bloods for this measure over 45 data points, which will go a long way to helping you understand your hormones and ovarian reserve better. Then there's the standalone female hormone health test, which will help you find out if a hormone imbalance could be affecting your mood, weight or energy levels. They've also got a test for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which will give you some answers so then you can get treatment. Then moving into their general tests, their menopause or every woman full body health test ranges from hormonal health to heart health to digestive health and much more besides. All these tests help a woman learn so much more about their bodies so they can act quicker. And as I always say, knowledge is power, people. So if you'd like to try out one of these female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to get you 10% off any test you need. But for now, it's back to the podcast. And for this episode, we shall be hearing from two brilliant women, NFM and Lola. Both these women have chosen two very different paths to motherhood. NFM is a well-known adoptive mum and Lola is a solo mum via sperm donation. They've both used their social media channels to raise awareness of these routes to parenthood and they joined us at the fertility show to help other people in their position. So let's head over to listen to them now. NFM, what do you do in this space? Tell us about you. So I had a very long journey to, to motherhood as some people will know so did me and my husband a treatment for many many years and were unsuccessful and experienced loss and we're asking ourselves questions throughout that whole time about what it was that we really wanted why were we here what what you know what was the end goal for us and um when we came to the end of our, our journey we just started to really ask about was it about was it about love or was it really about genetics or was it you know just just so many questions that we started to ask and explore other avenues and that's how we came to adoption the space that I've created online is a really inclusive space it's there to talk about um, predominantly the care system so the UK care system at the moment with the children that are, are in there foster care um, I, my personal experience of foster care as well being a teenager in care um, and campaigning um, for self-employed adopt- adoption pay, which you don't currently get <laughs> in the UK if you um, if you adopt, but if you're self-employed and have a biological child, then you do. So that's the kind of work that I've been doing in this space, I know. It's yeah, a shock so. to everybody. Uh, so we are so grateful that you're doing this. And of course, you also have a book, which are gonna, we're going to be talking about quite a bit, and you'll also read an excerpt from it yes. as well. Yeah. So thank you. Lola, if you didn't, won't mind passing the microphone, tell us a bit about you and your solo parenting journey and how you came to... I almost feel like a fraud in the fertility world because it wasn't quite as difficult as quite a lot of people's journeys but I I basically had a lot of longer relationships that didn't end up with me becoming a mum stayed in them for too long because I wanted to be a mum and thought well if I leave that takes me further away from that goal so um, and in the end I came out of a seven 
six, seven year relationship um, without having became a mum and decided that I didn't have another six or seven years to give anybody else. Um, I was 32 and I thought, well, if I wait seven more years and come out of a, the same scenario in the same situation, my body's not going to work as well. It's going to be harder for me in, in all aspects. Um, and so I, the decision was kind of made there. And then I always wanted to be a mum and I knew I would do it myself. And I'd flirted with the idea years ago about if I didn't end up settling down with somebody, you know, will I just do it on my own? And so I just did. Um, in fact, I left my, at that point, man I was going to marry uh, in the November. And in the December, I was already on sperm bank websites. <laughs> like, where do you buy sperm? <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> and, um, and I was really, really fortunate that I um, discovered that you could have IVF as a single person whilst egg sharing. You can do it not as a single person also, but I was single. Um, and I did egg sharing, which made IVF affordable. Um, would have struggled otherwise financially to go through treatment. I know people spend thousands and thousands. I just didn't have that. Um, so by donating eggs, I got a very subsidized... Well, my treatment was almost free. Um, and that's how I, I was pregnant with my son. And I continued donating eggs. And, um, and then in March, I did it again. And uh, here we are, baby number two. So I've been very, very lucky. I haven't spoken to somebody that's ever been a donor. I've always obviously spoken to people that have used egg donation. How do you feel about the knowledge of knowing that you have helped another couple or another person? It's, it's actually amazing. Um, it was the fact that I had had to use a donor to get pregnant. And I had had to, I originally accessed treatment through sharing eggs. Um, and initially it was a way to fund my own treatment. There wasn't a lot of, I really want to do something lovely about it at the very beginning. It was, I can do something great while I'm doing something for myself. Um, but I was so grateful that I'd actually managed to conceive a baby. I had this amazing donor who, without his sperm, I wouldn't have, have had my son, that I actually went back and donated altruistically because I wanted to, you know, when I found out that the other couple had got pregnant, it was for me, it was just like, oh my God, it was, it was different. When I found out I was pregnant, I was so lucky it had happened to me. I was so grateful it had happened to me. But when I found out they were pregnant, I was so proud that I'd been able to do that for somebody else. It was such a different contrasting feeling. And out of interest, yeah. do you feel any genetic link no. to the child that's not yours? No. Um, I have quite, I've, I've said quite a lot about this before um, online, but... So I don't have a relationship with my own mum. So I find it very easy to detach from being a genetic parent and being an emotional parent. Um, there are so many... I think there are so... It's one of those things where if you did have issues with that kind of thing, you probably wouldn't donate eggs. Um, but the genetic attachment, it just wouldn't be there. If you look at the biology of it, if, if somebody didn't take those eggs and make it into a baby, that, that egg would have died in a period. You know, It wouldn't have become a baby. Um, you know, I have an analogy where if you're making a cup of tea and you knock on your neighbor's door because you've run out of sugar and they give you the sugar, it doesn't become your neighbor's cup of tea because they gave you an ingredient to make it. it. It's still your cup of tea. Of course, That's... in England, it's not anonymous. So no. what happens if one day somebody gets in touch with you? I think I'm going to be quite prepared for that because Daniel is donor conceived and this baby will be do is, is donor conceived also. So I will have already been having those conversations about where my children come from with them so I'll be semi-prepared for those conversations if someone does knock on the door 
and, and how I've addressed it with my own children, they'll be aware. It, it won't feel like... It's interesting because I don't feel like it will be my child knocking on the door because it won't be. It's somebody else's baby. I will just maybe have some answers they're looking for, perhaps. But the door will always be open. It's, I'd like to think I'd be very prepared. I probably wouldn't be. I'd probably get to that point and be like, oh, oh, hello, who are you? I doubt, you I doubt very much somebody just knocks on the door nowadays no. anyway. <laughs> and let's, let's ask the same question to you because, of course, NFM, you've got a son at home and yeah. you are hoping to get a second child at some point. I know it's a long journey, that bit. But how do you feel if your son said to you, I'd like to find my birth parents? Yeah, I think there's a real, uh, such a level of intrigue with adoption. I think it's a fear that a lot of people um, face. Um, f for me, when I think when, when any child, when any human being wants to know where they've come from, wants to look in the mirror and understand wh where they've come from, that is just a natural in feeling, in right? In inquisitiveness? It's inquisitive. We all want to know who we are and where we've come from. And if any child... Uh, decides that they want to you know find their birth family and have those answers it's not a reflection on me it's not a reflection on me as a mother or his father or it's not about me <laughs> it's actually not it's nothing to do with me it's about that individual wanting to discover and learn about who they are and and it's that's really important I've been on a whole journey with adoption and ultimately I think it's an absolute privilege and an honour to be uh, walk alongside my son and to walk alongside him if, or, you know, for any, any adoptive parent when their child decides that they, that's what they want to do. It's just a privilege to be able to help them do that. And, uh, you know, I'll be there every step of the way. I think there's a huge thing around, and I have written about this, you know, there's a huge thing, I think particularly in this, in this country, around ownership. Yeah. of children people like to feel they have a level of ownership of children and ultimately nobody owns anybody <laughs> it's all just a privilege to be doing all of it so yeah how long did it take you to move from IVF to adoption we did have a, a quite a big break which I really do advocate yeah. for I know people feel a lot of frustrations when they think about um, the a lot of adoption agencies will ask for a, a grieving period um, I think it's really really important because it's not a it is not a replace. So adopting a child is not a replacement for the loss of a biological child. It's completely different. You know, it's a completely different avenue. So we took quite a long time. Um, I think it was almost a year. Yeah, just that's to, good. Yeah, just to really process what had happened. And, and, and you know, like infertility treatment, oh, my, it is hard. Like, and it's trauma and loss is trauma. And just had to really get our heads around that and, and understand it before we could even begin to think about parenting a child that ultimately has also had loss and trauma that's a really beautiful thing but you both can't be coming at it <laughs> no you know you need to sort of process your own first and Lola I mean it sounds like you literally thought right okay this isn't working let's go for it <laughs> with the donor sperm but that you know that is quite a big deal in itself how are you navigating those conversations and also how do you feel being a solo mum highs and lows highs and lows um Probably the same with all mothers in the first part is that I don't think you are ever actually prepared. <laughs> I keep saying to people who say, well, I'm thinking about being solo and I'm not sure if I'm ready. I keep saying, you're never actually going to be, you, you know, even when you think you're ready, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> so, but when you get there, like the, the, the highs are amazing. You get, it's your baby, you know, you get all the love. You are 
that one person that that baby wants the most. Um, you know, I don't have to make decisions with anybody else. Um, in some ways, that is a low because, you know, when your baby's wheezing at three o'clock in the morning, you're like, do I call an ambulance, do I not? There's no one to run this by. That's one of the lows of doing it on your own is you have to make every decision and make sure you're making the right one for your kids. But like the highs are that you are making every decision. <laughs> you are getting all of the good, all of the bad. You get everything and you, you, can, you own that as well. You know, everything that you do and every time your kid does something great, you're like, yeah, we did that. We're a team. I helped you learn that. I taught you to moo, you and, know. <laughs> and how much does your child know about how he was conceived? So he's, two, he's not even two yet, so he doesn't yet, but he will. How um, will you have those conversations? The conversation will be that mummy wanted a baby so much. My donor's from the US, so, you know, mummy wanted a baby so much that she actually, a really kind and generous man, put his seeds on an aeroplane and flew them all the way to London to meet mummy's doctors, and then we made you. Um, with lots of love and a, a lot of science too. Um, and that's kind of, that will obviously have some more context as he gets older. Um, but that's pretty much how it's, it's going to be. You know, he doesn't have a dad. He has a donor. He has a kind, generous man that shared his seeds, but he's not in our family. Um, but if Daniel ever wants to go looking for him, that's something I'll support. But he's not allowed to do it till he's 18 because I will decide what our family looks like till then because I am a bit of a control freak. <laughs> Um, but it's like when you were saying about, you know, navigating that with your children, if they want to decide who they are, I will absolutely support Daniel to want to know more. And, you know, I've got a big file. When you have a US donor, there's a lot of information. Have you got a lot of support from friends and family? Yes. My friends and family were amazing to start with. Um, you know, initially at the conversation, I'm going to do this. Everybody was very supportive. They've, they've been around the whole time. It's amazing. Um, one of the lows of solo parenting is you never know when you're going to get to shower because no one comes home from work to hold the baby. But um, having a lot of friends and family very nearby, my dad got many a phone call. Can you come and hold your grandson? I need a wash. <laughs> so, That's what you need. You do. You need those people. You're, there's only so many days you can do that. It's like going to a festival. Day three, you're done. <laughs> Why did you decide that you were going to be a voice for the solo parenting? And what do you do in that sphere? So it was really interesting because I feel like my journey didn't start that long ago, but the, 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 the world of solo parenting has evolved so much. When I first spoke about becoming a solo mum, there were not a lot of people. I, didn't know, I knew one solo mum, and I actually met her after I'd made the decision. There were not a lot of people talking about it. It was reserved for women who were left on the shelf, older, or had prioritised their careers wrongly in the eyes of society instead of having children. Um, and they were the people that were left, that, that was their only option. They had to do it on their own. They had no other choice. Whereas when I did it, people were like, well, why are you doing that? Why, why on earth are you having a baby on your own? You know, you're, you're lovely looking. You've got years left to look for somebody. And no one really got it. I didn't care what I looked like or how many years I had. I wanted a baby and I didn't want to wait. I, I'm happy to wait to be someone's wife. I didn't want to wait to be someone's mum. So I went very public with that because I couldn't believe how, how much there was a stigma about doing it in your early 30s, you know, I wasn't in my 40s for any other reasons. I did it because I wanted to be a mum, and that was the only reason I wanted to do it. Not for, it wasn't, there wasn't a default reason why that was my default choice. Um, and actually, when I, when I started my journey, I, I came across so many more women who were doing it younger than me. So many women had done it. So many women had already done what I thought I was doing, which was pretty unique. And 
no one was talking about it. You know, I was meeting women who would prefer to tell their families that they got pregnant from a one-night stand. Educated women, instead of admitting that they had gone and had treatment and made conscientious decisions about what to do with their bodies. And I just thought that was absolutely mental. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great that you're out there on Instagram because everybody's looking. How do people find you on Instagram? Is it? Um, it's the.solo.mum. Um, that's you. the easiest way to find Well, that is the name. Um, but yeah, I mean, the content changed quite a lot. Um, obviously, now that I am a mum, I talk a lot more about navigating life as a parent on my own as opposed to the process. But all the information is there from the journey. Um, you know, and, and it is so important to keep talking about it. There are so many people who wait so long because yeah, they're not sure. They do. Let's talk about your book, NFM, please. This is a story of you. Yes. So this is what I'm calling the evolution of my motherhood. So the evolution of understanding motherhood. So it's my experience of, of foster care as a teen and why that happened and what that looked like when I was a teenager and asking questions about my own relationship with uh, parents. Um, but the wonderful, wonderful woman that stepped forward and fostered me and my sibling, and then falling in love and, and wanting to become a mum and it just not being quite that easy. <laughs> yeah. um, and the world, and it's like this today actually, it's sort of like stepping back into that world, you know, from afar. Yeah, it's hard, but, isn't it? Yeah, it, and you know, the world of, of infertility and treatment and, and loss and then coming to adoption and how that journey ended, you know, it, it just ends with being told that I, I will become a mum, but actually the, just the sheer exhaustion and the evolution of that, of my, m me, through, throughout that. You're going to read us a bit of your book. I am, and Please I have never ever, it. I haven't read any yet, so I'm really, I'm really nervous. You can do this. Um, and a big thank you to the Fertility Show, who have actually become official patrons of, of the book as well. So. We're proud to be. Is anyone Bristolian here? No, so this is going to go down really well. This chat, this is a bit um, from a chapter called Next Stop, Please Drive, which is what we say in Bristol when we want to get off, basically, or get out. How do you know when to stop? I've been asked this question many times, and my truthful answer is no idea, and no, this book isn't refundable. <laughs> I feel I ought to try and come out with something sensible, like once it's affecting your mental or physical health or relationships, but that just wouldn't make any logical sense. In my experience, all these things become immediately impacted the day you're told you need treatment. The impact is full force, and I don't believe you can ever be prepared enough for it. It's like checking the road three or four times before crossing and still getting hit by a truck. So if we were all to stop, get off in preservation of our mental health, I don't believe anyone would ever step on. Besides, advice like that would only make me a hypocrite. From someone who wasn't sure if he even wanted to start swimming in the great unknown, to slowly releasing the air from her armbands and almost drowning. Should we have stopped sooner? Probably. Did we? No. And here's the thing. Had we have stopped sooner, certain future timings wouldn't have aligned. Unspeakably beautiful things I believe were meant to come into my life wouldn't have. So it's with this lived experience of reflection, the only sensible advice I'm able to offer is, you do you. Stop when you don't want to or you can't carry on anymore. It's as simple as that. And for a while, I don't believe I could even see properly. Not in the literal sense. Infertility doesn't cause blindness. <laughs> Every cloud. What I mean is that for a long time, I had lost sight of what it was I wanted from all of this in the first place. What the end goal actually even was. 
I'd often ask myself if the older me sat in some sort of luxury, here's hoping, retirement home, staring out of windows on hot summer's day, reflecting on her life, would be able to toothlessly smile in knowing she'd stayed true to herself, that she'd stayed in her own lane, irrelevant of obstructions and diversions placed in her way, and traveled her desired destination to the very end. Because what it was I only ever really wanted was to become a mum, that's it. And somewhere in between wanting that and having to fight to get it. I believe for a while back there, I was fumbling around in some sort of infertility treatment darkness. I needed to switch the lights back on with immediate effect so I could start to recognize myself. If I'm to be really honest, the greatest fear in all of this was not one of genetics, bloodline or even pregnancy. In truth, I was quite comfortable in letting a fair bit of the genetics on my side slide on past. I'd never really felt that connected to the ancestors and I've never really been desperate to be pregnant or give birth, not really. That wasn't to say I wasn't intrigued or I didn't want to be. I actually wanted a bit more of it when the thought of it was to be taken away. It's something my body is biologically designed to do and that has always intrigued me, but I could with time accept not giving birth or being pregnant. The prospect was a nice one and I like the idea of it, but for me, the deep-rooted pain of not being able to have a child stemmed from the thought of never reaching the universal end result. Irrelevant of how it happened, after the pregnancy and birth was over, the night feeds and the tiny nappies had gone, it was the bit after that I couldn't bear to lose. A trepidation greater than all of that was one of never knowing, understanding or reaching motherhood. I just wanted to be a mum, to love them as a child, love them as an adult, love them when they were laughing and love them even harder when they cried and I needed to love them on the days they might not love me. Thank you. That is so beautiful. I love it. When is it out? Uh, 2nd of May next year. 2nd of May, just on time for the next show, <laughs> would you believe? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Any questions from anybody here? Yes, please. I'll just grab you the mic. There we go. Um, do you have to put anything different on the birth certificate? Um, no, you just, if you are, if you have a sperm donor, you just leave it blank. Um, I know people, they got spare copies of birth certificates and they wrote something. Um, for example, I can't remember what they put, but they, some of them just put, uh, like their pa parents' name, or like their own parents, not their donor's name. Um, so the child had somebody's name on there, but I, I didn't do that. I didn't think that was necessary. Brilliant. Thank you. What an interesting question. You know, it's these things that you don't realise, right? The practicalities. Practic the practicalities of it all. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Let's All Talk Fertility, the podcast, brought to you by The Fertility Show. We hope you found this session useful. Thanks again to Randox Health. And remember, if you want some money off one of their female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to give you 10% off any test you need. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please give us a good review and share with those who you think will benefit. But for now, thanks for being here and see you for the next one. <laughs> <laughs>